Okay, so this is originally where um, my joke for this morning was supposed to go. So just in case it's just now caught up to you, you can go ahead and laugh here. Happy New Year. Um, That's a little better. I'm getting a little better. Maybe I'll just keep trying it out. I'll just keep trying it out. Happy New Year. (laughs) There you go. Um, (laughs) All right. 2020 um, has been a strange year, obviously. Um, Crossing this kind of arbitrary date on the calendar that we've chosen to delineate our years doesn't really change anything. But I will say, as we gathered on Thursday night uh, with families and individuals and couples to pray about um, what in the world just happened for the last 365 days and to to try and prepare ourselves for what comes next, um, it was kind of fascinating how, um, when we considered this last year, a lot of pretty amazing things actually happened uh, in 2020. Uh, I came ready. Thursday night to kind of lament this past year and beg for something better, uh, but repeatedly found myself kind of thanking God for the blessings uh, that did come in 2020. People got new jobs they were grateful for. People got married. People got pregnant. People had babies. People met people who are now incredibly important to them. Uh, in fact, many of the people at Open Table right now started coming in 2020, um, and a lot of them we feel like we've known forever already and, and wouldn't know what to do without them. So by the end of the New Year's Eve prayer time, um, I kind of lost count of the number of times I thanked God for beauty from ashes. And uh, the news makes it sound like everything's kind of burning to the ground, but we're over here making new friends and growing in the love of God with new people and advancing the kingdom of God together. So it's actually been okay. Uh, and all this was kind of rattling in my head as I sat down to, to write this morning's message, which I knew was already going to be um, about what it means to be Open Table Community Church. Uh, but I couldn't help of, but think about what the church vision, because uh, we always kind of start there when we do these. Um, and I found what, what was kind of interesting is that I, I, 2020 made me love our church's vision um, even more. And here's why. This is our vision reads. Open Table Community Church is a community organized by and around the Word of God to cooperate in the mission of God of furthering the kingdom of God. We accomplish this by gathering in worship together around a common teaching and a common table, by living in fidelity to Christ and one another, and by working together to bring reconciliation to the four relationships broken by sin in the fall. What I love about um, our vision, especially as I consider the last year, is Stuff like 2020 can't touch that. If our vision had been to grow a big church, um, 2020 would have been a tough year to accomplish our goals. If our vision had been to have 10 small groups meeting in houses by the end of 2020, things like mandated quarantines could have gotten in the way. If our vision had been to build a new building, pave a parking lot, start a community outreach, add new services, we'd be standing on this side of 2020 wondering what just happened. But... Most of those things are above our pay grade, as 2020 proved. And so it it feels kind of good to get to cooperate in the mission of God in any way that that he sees fit. So 2020 will continue to, uh, through 2020, we'll continue to function as the people of God. We continue to gather around the word. 
sometimes in our individual houses, but the Word of God was still central. We continued to join the mission of God to confront darkness and redeem whatever is broken, to advance the kingdom of God this year into cyberspace like never before, like all churches did. We now have people joining us all over the country, which is uh, exciting. We count them among us. We've continued to worship together. We've prayed with each other. We've supported each other in some real darkness. We've blessed our kids. We've worked hard to faithfully um, follow Jesus together. So 2020 has shown me that we have the right vision statement. We're on the right path together because it works even when things fall apart. Well, for the past uh, several years uh, in January, we've um, kind of started each new year with what it means to be Open Table Community Church. I know we've added some new families, so we really haven't really talked about the foundations of OTCC a lot. So it seems appropriate to kind of stick with that pattern of starting our year talking about who we are. And honestly, I have uh, uh, believe that more is caught than taught. I think the, the easiest way to find out what Open Table is about is to just come spend time with us. We don't have like an Oz-type curtain separating Sunday morning from the real kind of wheels of power and intention. Open Table Community Church is about as close to what you see is what you get, as I can imagine. Um, so the best way to get to know Open Table is to come and check us out. But despite that, uh, the fact that our ethos is kind of caught, not taught, I do think it's important to explain why we do what we do. So for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about us, um, you all, this place, what it means to be OTCC. We're going to focus um, this year on this metaphor that kind of shapes a big part of our identity, the table. Um, incidentally, we have, uh, we have done other identity series that kind of follow different aspects of who we are. And they're on our website, deep in the archives, if you want to dig and find those. Uh, the idea of the table is kind of central to our identity, um, which is fairly obvious in our name. But I thought I'd spend the next couple of weeks explaining um, why we've chosen, out of all the possible kind of metaphors to shape ourselves around, this particular metaphor. Um, and we're going to start in Luke 14, if you want to turn there. I'll be starting in verse 12, if you want to follow along in your own Bible. If not, um, the words will be on the screen. Then he, Jesus... Turn to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at least, uh, then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. The servant returned and told his master, what they had said, his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys and towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, this, There's still room for more. So the master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. 
This is the word of the Lord. Now, just a little bit of background. Um, Jesus is at a public dinner um, when he gives this teaching, and the, the scripture tells us he's kind of watching the social uh, power dynamics of this type of event as it plays out. Um, he watches how important people are treated differently uh, than not so important people. He watches how even where you sit at the table um, depends on your connections and your reputation. So the important thing to catch um, is that this teaching doesn't happen without context. Uh, this isn't a message that was just burning on Jesus' heart that he can't wait to kind of share with other people um, that he's branded into a nice, clean you know, message with graphics and a theme song. Um, he shared this uh, with a crowd uh, that wasn't really his chosen crowd. This particular message is born on the spot, and it's kind of born out of frustration. Jesus looks around, doesn't like what he sees, and speaks this, you know, kind of into brokenness, into this bad situation that he's in. He sees something that he doesn't like, and, uh, and he chooses to address it. And uh, this is how it kind of plays out. He says, then he turned to the host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends and brothers and relatives and rich neighbors, for they'll invite you back. Then that, that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then in the resurrection of, righteous, of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, this is interesting because right here Jesus tells you what kind of dinner um, this is. And by contrast, what kind of dinner it's not. This is not a night out with friends. This is not the people you can fart in front of or, um, or you know, have maybe a little too much wine with. Uh, this is hobnobbing. This is networking. This is jockeying for a better... Are you allowed to say fart in a sermon? I'm not sure what the, <laughs> what the rules are. This is jockeying for a better position in society. And the whole thing is disguised as a dinner. But this is, this is social hierarchy at play. So Jesus speaks to the host about it, and he, he confronts the motive of this thing. He confronts what's underneath it. He points out how every guest has something to offer. Every guest has some way of paying back the host, an invite to their networking event maybe, or some influential seat at the next dinner. And what Jesus confronts is, is this kind of tit-for-tat dynamic that exists in the day. Basically what had happened was Israel had reduced humans to a commodity. Every soul had an objective metric by which it could be assigned a value. And only those souls that were given enough value were worth investing in. Jesus explains to the host that this kind of arbitrary quantifying of human life is not right. This life is worth an invite. That life is not worth an invite. doesn't have enough value. So what Jesus does is he says, you should invite those who can never in ten lifetimes pay you back for your kindness. And the way he does this is kind of theologically interesting because Jesus doesn't say that you should just do this because it's nice or because it's the right thing to do, because all people deserve love, or because, you know, this is, this is good. In fact, Jesus doesn't even tell him to change his motive. It's amazing how often Jesus does this. He's constantly preaching this upside-down kingdom. He's constantly flipping everything. He's taking what we know to be true in society, and he just flips it. 
For instance, when some parents brought their kids to Jesus for a blessing, his disciples uh, don't push the kids aside because they hate kids. The disciples just recognize the importance of this moment. I mean, think about it. You guys sit quietly and patiently for 40 minutes every week just to hear what I, whatever I have come up with to say. Imagine if you heard that it was going to be Jesus speaking, that he was going to come and teach. They don't want to miss a single word of what Jesus has to say because they know it's important. And so when they kind of shun the kids, it's not because they hate the kids. It's because they, this is an important moment. This is serious. And what Jesus doesn't do, Jesus doesn't do like the Zen thing. He doesn't go, all lives are equally important. You know, don't value one moment over another moment. Every moment is just as valuable. In fact, Jesus doesn't say it is. He doesn't even tell them to stop ranking importance. What he does is he flips it. He takes a kid and he goes, hey, if you want to see the most important, you've got it upside down. You want to be like these. The hierarchy they had was just backwards. And so he said, here's the hierarchy. Kids go on top. And if you want to be great in the kingdom, become like a kid. Jesus is constantly telling us we have the right ideas, just upside down. And that's what he's doing at this dinner host. He says, you're right. You have the right idea for throwing a, a dinner party to gain reward. You just have the rewards upside down. If you really want to kill it at this networking thing, invite the people who you cannot, who you cannot benefit from because then when you sit here with no one to reward you, God will have to be the one who rewards you. And that is far superior to what you're currently doing. As far as networking goes, that's the ultimate networking lunch. If you really want a reward from a lunch, if you really want to get this thing right, man, do something you can't get a reward from because that's when God steps in. So Jesus gives this quick little lesson about this upside down kingdom and Oh, man, oh, man, I love this. Someone jumps in and completely misses the point. Listen, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaims, what a blessing it will be to attend the banquet in the kingdom of God. And this is just brilliant. Look what this guy did. So Jesus is talking to the host about the kind of people he invites to the party and, and the way he's kind of misappropriating social influence. Basically, Jesus is talking about the nuts and bolts of social life. Who gets invited to the table? And this guy jumps in and tries to move the conversation straight to heaven. Think about it. Jesus is saying, why do you invite all these fancy people to your parties? You should invite some of the less savory people. And this guy jumps in and says, boy, isn't heaven going to be awesome. And the worst part is the church does this all the time don't we? While the world is crying out for practical help, while the world wants to know what the church has to offer right here and right now, and the church gets caught up oftentimes just talking about heaven. And don't get me wrong, I'm crazy excited about heaven, but so much of what Jesus teaches is practical. It's now type stuff. And when someone is trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills or what they're going to do with their broken heart, or they're just hunting for some meaning in life, when they're, when they're stuck in the mire of every day, coming in and going, if you were to die today, do you know where you would wind up? Doesn't always, it sounds almost as out of place as this guy at the table. While Jesus is talking about the social structure of this dinner party, and this guy jumps in, boy, I can't wait to see heaven. And Jesus is like, you're kind of missing the point. 
Now, in this system, um, oh, sorry. He tells the guy <laughs> who plans the banquet, uh, as was, he tells a story about a guy who plans a banquet, and as was common in ancient times, the, there was two invitations that went out. The first invitation was kind of a save the date kind of thing, and because it took a lot of preparation, sometimes even a harvest, sometimes the slaughtering of animals and, and things to prepare. You know, a lot of times you would send away for a shipment of wine or something, and so it took time to prepare a party like this. So you kind of sent out a, like, hey, we're going to have a huge banquet in the fall. Like, that's about as close as you could get. A lot of cultures still kind of do this. We had some, uh, our neighbors when we lived in Gardner were from Kenya, and we were talking with them one evening. We asked what was the, the hardest thing they had to adjust to um, coming to America, and they said clocks. We just don't run on clocks in Kenya. Like, you plan a party for the end of the month, and some people come early, some come late. The party goes for we- a week, and it's just kind of a thing, like, to have someone go, the party starts at 5.30 was the craziest thing we had ever heard of. Like, it never dawned on us to narrow down time like you guys have in America. And so that's kind of what happens here. You send out a first invite that lets everybody know there's a banquet coming. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and then uh, you give them a general season, and they have an opportunity to respond to that invite. And if they don't, it's just assumed that they're going to come. And, the, and they will come when you send the second invite. And so the second invite is to notify them all the arrangements have been made. Everything's ready. The fattened calf is slaughtered. The wine is here. The harvest is in. We're ready to have a banquet. Now, in this type of system, um, you are allowed uh, you know, if you're in the middle of a building project, you know you're going to be building something. You're you, you know um, you're going to be having a baby. You know, you know things are going to be going on. You can, you can respond in the negative. You can RSVP that you're not coming to the first invite. And if enough people do that, the host may reschedule the event. They have time to, to, to move it or to do it differently. And this is kind of why the host in this story that Jesus tells, the story that kind of shapes so much of who we are at Open Table, is so frustrated because um, he... He had sent out the first invite, and for the most part, he assumed everybody that, that uh, said they were going to be coming. And it's when he sends the second invite that he starts getting the excuses. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pair of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they said, and his master was furious. Now, none of these seem like bad excuses. They're all very valid excuses to turn down the first invite. But once you accept the first invite, there's really uh, only one reason to make these kind of excuses on the second invite. And we often miss this um, kind of in our culture because we don't live in this kind of culture. <coughs> Rejecting this invite uh, might seem incredibly rude. And it's definitely a, a, a social slight. But to us, it happens, right? People can't make it to parties. People don't come to things. People, people bail at the last second. People stand you up. It's a bummer, but not unheard of. But in Jesus' day, when someone turns down this second invite, it was because they were angling for something, which is why the actions of the host in Jesus' story seem so surprising. 
Most of Jesus' listeners would have expected the host to negotiate. Generally, in this situation, the host might offer a better seat at the table. Oh, I'm sorry you have bought a new piece of field. What if I moved you up in the table? Then would you come? Maybe a new goad for the oxen you bought or, or some seeds for the other guy who just bought some land or a nice wedding present for the married couple. An empty banquet would have been incredibly embarrassing. So anybody would have expected the, the host to find some way to fill the banquet. And usually it happens by jockeying social favors. And that's how. So anybody who would have turned down the second invite is waiting then for the, the leverage to come. The, what do you have to offer me? I can't make it. What are you, what are you offering? These folks, uh, these folks are, are playing the game, if you want to call it that. And so the, the host does something completely shocking that nobody uh, at the party that Jesus is, is speaking to would have expected. He, this host sends his servants out to find guests that would not have fit in in the first party. And these folks gladly come. And once everyone is seated, there are still some empty seats. So rather than just saying, hey, well, it's better than it was, he sends the servants out again, even further to find more people. And all of this is why Jesus ends his story with, for none of those I first invited get even the smallest taste of my banquet. See, this can be a confusing verse if you don't understand the way their social structure works because we would assume the original guest didn't want to come, right? We would assume if, if they RSVP'd, I can't be there, it means they don't want to be there. So this verse kind of sounds weird. Like someone says, hey, I don't want to come to your party, and you respond, fine, then you can't come to my party. Like, that's kind of what this verse sounds like. Like, they say no, and so he goes, fine, then you don't even get a taste of the banquet out of place. But when you understand what they were doing was angling for a better spot at the banquet, they wanted to play the games. They wanted to, to, to wheel and deal for social standing. And the, and the host goes, fine, then you get nothing. You, get, you ever done that with your kids? When they're like, uh, like, you're like, here, you can have this. They're like, no, I want that. Fine, <laughs> then you get nothing, like, right? That's kind of what the host does here. He says, come to the party, it's ready. They're like, eh, I might get a better deal. Like, fine, then you don't come to the party. But once you know the original invitees were planning to come, they just wanted to be begged to come, this final statement makes sense, and it makes sense as to why the host's actions were so controversial. Like, that's what made them so shocking. Because basically he's refusing to play the dumb games that devalue some people and falsely elevate others. So, let's talk about what that means to Open Table Community Church. In the purest and most theological sense, um, this passage, I think, is talking about the transition of the biblical narrative from the invited guests which we would call Old Testament Israel, who ultimately rejected their king, um, to the surprise guests, which namely would be the church, us. It started as a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and misfits. It eventually grew into Gentiles and all manner of people, including you and I. And so that would kind of be the standard theological interpretation, but I don't think Jesus' original guests would have catched that, caught that at all. I don't think that's the story they would have heard when they heard this story. 
Um, I think Jesus was telling a story about protesting the crazy games we play with human worth. The crazy games we play with valuing some people over others. We put some on a pedestal, which feels almost natural. Some people, you know, feel like they should be elevated, except the, the counterbalance is that we also devalue others. When we elevate one person because they seem like they're worth elevating, we may not notice we do it, but we automatically, reflexively are devaluing others. And it's also artificial. So Jesus tells a story of a guy who thumbed his nose at this system and kind of threw a protest party, which is how I think the very first readers would have heard this. And it's closer to the way we read it at Open Table. When we first started talking about and dreaming about planning Open Table Community Church, um, we were going to, several of us were going to churches we loved. Um, we didn't plant Open Table Church because there were no good churches out there. We certainly didn't plant Open Table because we felt like everyone else was doing it wrong and we could do it right. If you feel like I'm ever trying to convince you that Open Table is the one church that's doing it right, please call me on it because I don't feel that way. There are a ton of great churches. When we started Open Table, it wasn't because there were no good churches. It was uh, because we didn't know very many churches that um, were seeking a particular type of people that might feel at home. Um, I would like to say we were looking for the unchurched, but I think every church is looking for the unchurched. I think in a way we were almost looking for the overchurched. Those who had been beat up a little bit, those who were a little bit worn out. What we had in mind was closer to the host of Jesus' story. We were looking for people who were tired of playing social power games in church. We were done with church politics and power struggles. We were almost uh, interested in, in uh, seeing what happened. It was kind of an experiment. What happens if you, if you try to run a church without all that? We wanted honest people, real people who wanted to pursue Jesus, but didn't necessarily want to play weird games. People who um, didn't have much patience for BS. You allowed to say that too? Maybe. I think as long as you abbreviate, you can say everything. <laughs> but here's the deal. When you aim for that kind of people, you get real people problems. You get issues. Jesus' hosts wound up eating dinner with strangers. Some of them were crippled and poor and blind. And I'm sure it wasn't the meal he originally expected. And when you design a church around real people, you can sometimes get stuff that doesn't look very churchy. Sometimes people don't say things that most church people say. Sometimes people have issues and hang-ups that most church people don't have. Some people have doubts and questions that church people aren't supposed to wrestle with. When you invite a bunch of ragamuffins to the table, you wind up with people who don't have great table manners. And we absolutely did not plant um, Open Table Community Church because we think it's bad to pay attention to what you say and what you eat or drink or what you watch on TV. But if those things are really important to you, there's a ton of great churches that stress those things. 
And that brings me to the second reason, the second thing we really get from this story. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out in the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. So as long as there is an empty seat at the table, our job's not done. And this is not my way of saying, go out and get people and drag them into church. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Actually, yeah, let's do that. Do that thing. Let, no, I'm kidding. There's a more proverbial way that we look at this. As disciple makers, as heralds of the kingdom, there is no finish line on this side of eternity. There is no point at which we're finished. So much of Christianity today seems about who's in and who's out and what definitions we're going to use to define the ins from the outs. Notice I didn't say innies and outies because that's a whole different topic nowadays and it gets into bathrooms and pronouns and I don't even want to go there. There it is. <laughs> but we get so consumed with who's in and who's out that we sell the finish line metaphor. And now if we could, we're across the finish line, I'm, I've prayed the prayer, I'm, now I just hold on until Jesus comes. What I love about this story is that the master of the house isn't satisfied until the table is full. Every single seat at the table. That doesn't mean open table. It means the table. Every single seat full. And until it is, we have work to do. We have a world to bless. We have people to love on. We have a kingdom to advance. Reg has been telling me about a friend he works with who is simply not the type of person who would generally be invited to the table. And yet Reg has basically dragged her to the table as they talk about Jesus and she asks for prayer. And Reg is just shining a light in her darkness. And we all know people like that. Which is why I love this metaphor of the table. Because we cannot save people. I can't save people. That's way above my pay grade. But what I can do is sit down at a table with them with people and engage in genuine life-giving relationship and then let the Holy Spirit take it from there. But just invite them to the table in genuine relationship and let God be God. So how do we respond to this? We're kicking off this year um, talking about what it means to be Open Table Community Church. Next week, we're going to talk about this famous kind of table story in the Old Testament. On week three, we're going to talk about the communion table. Um, and a passage from 1 Corinthians that I think often gets misunderstood. And then on week four, we're actually going to talk about our communion table here at Open Table. But honestly, this morning's passage is the one that grabbed my heart very early in my walk with Jesus. And it just hasn't let go of me because um, Esther and I have done the majority of our relationship and ministry sitting at a table. We sat at some friend's table when we first got married and saw love and saw ministry and saw God's power move like crazy, and we've always done the same at our table. Um, most of our life happens at a table. And that's not just a crack about my weight, although I'm sure there's something there. We love having people sit at our table and tell us about themselves, enjoy food together as I tell way too many stories. We've had countless Bible studies at our table. We've even broken up vicious and bloody fights over Monopoly at our table. 
At our previous church, there was a fairly large homeless ministry. One of the guys at the church delivers, delivered food for Uplift, and he started bringing a couple of homeless guys uh, to church with him, Bob and Whiskey. I don't know Whiskey's real name. We all just called him Whiskey. And Bob and Whiskey, as Bob and Whiskey got more comfortable, they spread the word, and more and more homeless people started coming to the church. And So our first Sunday at this church, we had to walk through a huge cloud of cigarette smoke to get in the front door, and I was like, this is church. And I hate cigarette smoke. But after uh, we went for a couple weeks, we noticed that after church, everybody was doing the, hey, where are you going for lunch? Hey, you want to come over for lunch? Hey, we're going over to spin for lunch. And everybody was talking about lunch, and the homeless guys were just going out and piling back in the van. They were kind of missing out on this Sunday dinner, what happens after church dynamic that we've all grown so used to. And so I approached the uh, gym. Um, without my wife's permission, which is something I really need to get better at. Um, but I asked Jim what he thought about bringing all the homeless folks over to our house for lunch. And, uh, and he told me, and this was Jim's life, like he was deep in it. He told me, I would tell you you're crazy. And I said, like, why? I thought Jim was like totally into that kind of thing. He said, these guys will not stay sober that long. It's just not going to happen. Like some of them hang on for church. And they got a bottle waiting in the van. And I was like, oh, I wouldn't expect them to stay sober. He was like, dude, 30 or 40 drunks at your house is, is unheard of. And I said, well, let's risk it. What if you say next week we have everybody over for, for, uh, for lunch? And he was like, okay. And then I went and told Esther. Um, <laughs> no. So we risked it. And as we sat around my table and... These folks passed bread to my kids and asked for more butter, and we talked about normal stuff, sitting at a table. We were all the same when we sat there. There was nothing different about us. They ate the same way we ate. They ate the same food we ate. This weird division, that this kind of arbitrary division we had because of the way we live was suddenly gone. We started having the entire crew at our house once a month, and we rarely had better guests. My kids learned some new colorful words. The house didn't always smell great, but those were some of our fondest memories. And, and honestly, it was just lunch. Like We didn't save the world. We didn't fix the homeless problem in Kansas City. We just sat at a table with other humans because it was the right thing to do. And that is our heart at Open Table Community Church. Not necessarily the, a table full of homeless people, but, but a simple meal. And even more, kind of like the host of Jesus' story, just no games, a meal with no games. And I have to be honest, OTCC is about as, like I said, what you see is what you get, as I can imagine. There's no big agendas. We're not pushing any big plays. We don't have a master plan other than to just try to live faithfully together as we follow Jesus. We don't have much of a power dynamic at all. And that's kind of the way we like it. So what does that mean? The open table. For one, it means you're ready to sit at the table with ragamuffins. This can prove tougher than you might think. There's no rankings or kudos to pretend like you know, 
You, you don't get any bonus points if you pretend like you don't watch certain TV shows or, or if you pretend like you don't like beer. For some people, this is discouraging because they've learned how to play the game. They've learned how to advance in the church social ethos by putting on a perfect Sunday morning holy face and saying hallelujah at just the right times. It can be a little weird to be with people where you can't seem to climb the ladder by acting more holy. But number two, being at OTCC means you skip all the church games and power struggles and weird manipulations, and that kind of starts with me. I try hard to be open and honest from the pulpit. When things are crappy, I try to tell you they're crappy. I'm getting all the fringe words into this message. (laughs) Which makes this next line great. I don't try to polish a turd. (laughs) That was my dad's situation when you try to take a bad situation, or my dad's word phrase for when you try to take a bad situation and make it sound like everything's awesome and God is just all over it. No, sometimes life sucks. And even though we have no reason to abandon hope as Christians, there's always hope. Sometimes we just have to say that life sucks right now. In fact, last Thursday when we had our Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve kind of prayer and communion time, which was awesome. We loved that service. It was our first time in this building because although we scheduled it last year, Esther and I had a doozy of a fight that day. And it just didn't, it's such an honest and raw and authentic night. It didn't feel right to do it while we were kind of at each other's throats. She was extremely tired. I said something really, really stupid that morning, which is usually how it happens. And I didn't want to pretend. And so it was a little embarrassing, but I had to say, they were canceling tonight because we got in a fight. And it's stupid. I acted like a jerk, said some dumb things, and... So it, we don't want to fake it. We don't want to stand up here and smile and pray for you and serve communion and it be all manipulations and smoke and mirrors. So we try to be honest. We try to be real. And that's the way people are going to be here. And the third thing that it means to be open table is that you're ready to get to work. As long as there's a seat at the table, there's more work to do. That obviously means like right here work because when you're a church our size, Everyone has to pitch in. But more than that, it means we don't stop pushing to advance the kingdom of God, to love each other better, to shine brighter, to follow Jesus harder. Like we don't have a we're all okay and we've got to go out and get the lost mentality. We have a we all need to do better. We've got more to do. We're all working hard to approach Christ together. We speak in, in near and far language more than in and out language. We could all get nearer. Wherever you are in relationship to the cross, our goal is that we would draw nearer. Is that a word, nearer, more near? I don't know which word. And somebody who's far from the cross, if they're oriented toward the cross, then they're on the same trajectory we're on. It's not like we're in and they're out. We're drawing to the cross together. There's always more to do. We can always shine brighter. We can follow Jesus harder, we can repent again and again and again because our work is not done until the table is full. So welcome to Open Table Community Church. Let's go to the table.